0: Meaningful part of worship, and so for those of you where uh, offering is meaningful, then we encourage you to give. And for those of you who are new to this um, part of worship, um, we just want to um, just say there's no pressure. It's for those where this act is a meaningful thing. So today's sermon is an explanation of how finances are explained in the Bible, and so the sermon is entitled. Let's see if I can get this to flick on here. Okay, no, that's okay, no, I'm sorry <laughs> um so today's sermon is the church and money, the good, the bad, and the ugly. and so what I want to do is I want to acknowledge in the past, let's see if I can get this clicker to oh okay, I thought I heard I heard, okay, we're good now, and so is the uh file not accurate? You can't open the hard drive. Okay, um, hmm, is that, is that just like a software update type thing for the hard drive or it just won't, it should, it should work for both though, Uh, okay, it's kind of interesting for the past 36 hours I've had a really interesting technical difficulties the whole way through so, um, it's actually been a pretty frustrating (laughs) experience the past day and a half, (laughs) um, Let's see here. I'm trying to think. James, do you have a USB? Okay, we do. <laughs> Yay! Because this does not work without. Yeah, without pretty pictures, pretty much. Um, did Jinha leave the room? Hey, Mervin, if you go into the back room over there, I've got a backpack and on the. F- the back, um, the 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 front pocket. There's like a adapter, and um, guess what, folks? If you update your MacBook, they don't come with USB ports. <laughs> and so, anyway, that's been part of the frustration too. Actually, for the past like few minutes, I was trying to drag the folder. Into the hard drive, and it would not let me pull it in. Like it's just like a touchpad, right? Like I know how to use this, and like it just would not go. And someone back here was like praying, "Dear God, please bless the worship, sir." So I'm in the back, like, "Come on!" It just wouldn't work. So anyway, um, sorry, AV team, and this is just, uh, yes, it's been an adventure. Yeah, that's the one. Oh, that's okay. Just just pass it over here, and I'll um, yeah, I'll try and make it work. drag it in Okay, so what I want to do in starting out um, this um, sometimes uh, maybe – it's not so much of a complex sermon, but it's basically when the pastor comes up front and says, give God your money. And immediately, I think for people who are not used to offering, red flags can come up. And so I want to acknowledge in the past and present, churches have not always raised funds in ethical ways. Um, and we talked about the selling of indulgences um, that first Sabbath of the new year, um, or, or the last Sabbath of uh, 2017. And um, there are also times where churches have misused funds that were donated. And I don't know how many of you were reading through uh, the newspaper back in 2015. Uh, there was a story of Harvest Church in Singapore has anyone ever seen or remember an article that popped up about a Singaporean church? It's one of the biggest churches in Singapore. And basically, the founder of City Harvest Church, Kong He, was sentenced to eight years in prison, along with five other members of his leadership, for misusing $50 million worth of church funding. Um, now, you might ask the question, what do you spend $50 million on? Mansions? My box, on the contrary, they actually spent money on mission work. And um, half of the funds were used on what they called missionary work. And so what happens is Kong He's wife, who is Ho Yo Sun, is a musician. And they had this plan let's make Ho Yo Sun um, a pop music superstar. And in pumping money into her music career, they would hopefully build a bridge between people outside of the church and the community, and hopefully they would draw them in with her music. and so they pumped twenty four million dollars into her career. But it wasn't so much the fact that that they had done this act; it was how they did this. And apparently, they constructed false construction and investment related um, companies. And basically, through means of fraud, they kind of siphoned off, um, $24 million. And so you might ask, well, what did they spend the other $26 million on? Well, they spent $26 million covering up their tracks. And, uh, basically, they got caught. And, um, because they were trying to hide their embezzlement from auditors, uh, they got called into the, uh, into the courtroom. And basically, it was the biggest money laundering scheme. Um, in the history of the Singaporean government when it came to um, a church-related entity. And so this is one of many stories where churches have creatively used um, finances. And so I just want to say there's no secret. It's in church history. In the past and present, there have been times where um, valuable resources have been used unethically. Unethically. And so I want to share with you the biblical model of systematic financial giving that um, this particular church uses so that you understand why the offering basket is being passed around and how those funds can be used. Okay, great. So the first passage that I want to look at too look into is leviticus twenty seven verses thirty and thirty two and this sermon is kind of split up into two sections first i 'm going to be explaining tithe and tithe is something that really um, takes care of the needs of full time ministry workers so we're going to be talking about church employees and how funds are used in that area and then we 're going to talk about offerings and how offerings affect church ministries so leviticus twenty seven verses thirty and thirty two says a tithe of everything from the land Whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and every flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. And so there's this model for systematic giving that's given in the Old Testament temple era. And so here God is giving this command to the Israelites saying, this is how I want you to sustain the temple. This is how I want you to sustain the sanctuary. But what I want to point out is even before the temple era, God somehow, some way instructed his faithful people um, about this thing called tithe. So in Genesis, Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 to 22, it says here, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me I will give you a tenth or a tithe and so here is a story of Jacob there's no other information when it comes to God telling Jacob this is what tithing is about he just knows and so he makes his promise God I'll give you a tithe if you take care of me Tithing was also practiced in the time of Jesus. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. And basically he says, you're so good at tithing these specific things, but you've forgotten the more important matters like uh, justice and the love of God. And so what I want to highlight here is even in the New Testament era, as Jesus is ministering to um, the Israelites uh, or to the Jews, they practiced tithe. It's something that was consistently done. So the question is, where did these resources go and who benefited from the tithe? In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 1 to 5, the Bible kind of shares how this system of tithing actually works. So if you have your white uh, Bibles in front of you, or if you have your Bibles on your phones, I'll invite you to go to Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 1 to 5. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. This is page 164. For those of you who have the White Seminar Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we're going to be reading verses 1 to 5. Here's what the text says. Remember that the Levitical priests, that is, the whole of the tribe of Levi, will receive no allotment of land, whether among the other tribes in Israel instead the priests and levites will eat from the special gifts given to the Lord for that is their share they will have no land of their own among the Israelites the Lord himself is their special possession just as he promised them these are the parts of the priests uh, these are the parts the priests may claim as their share from the cattle sheep Goats that the people bring as offerings, the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach. You must also give to the priest the first share of the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, the wool at shearing time. For the Lord your God chose the tribe of Levi out of all your tribes to minister to the Lord's name forever. So when Israel became a nation, each tribe was given land. And this is really important because Land is how they were supposed to sustain themselves. They weren't ever supposed to sell their land to other people. They weren't supposed to buy their neighbor's land. There was always this kind of systematic set thing of here's what God gave you. Now live and learn how to be content. And for the Israelites, most of them were farmers. And so whether they raised sheep, cattle, or uh, grain, or whatever it may be, they were farmers. And that's how they sustained themselves. But there's this one particular tribe called the tribe of Levi. And these tr- these people are called priests. They minister to the sanctuary. They minister to the temple. It's kind of like the old school church, if you will. It was their job to instruct people about God. It was their job to take care of spiritual things. And so how are they supposed to sustain themselves if that was their full-time uh, occupation? And so God basically says, To Israel, for those of you who have land, a tenth of what you have, give to the priests so that they can focus on spiritual matters and so that they can make sure that Israel learns about God um, for the remainder of their days. And so in the Old Testament, this was kind of the model for which God gave Israel. Now, later on in the New Testament... Paul refers to the Old Testament temple tithing system to inform the church at Corinth of its role in sustaining the ministers. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes, Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And so here, Paul refers to the Old Testament and says, hey, church, it's your responsibility to take care of the minister. But what happens is, Paul in another part of scripture then says, ministers, you also have a responsibility. Romans chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. For Macedonia and Achaia were, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So the church in Jerusalem sent missionaries at their cost to be a spiritual blessing to the Gentiles. And Paul here says, because they added value to your life by being a spiritual blessing, then it's right to reciprocate and provide a material blessing back to the church. And what I want to highlight here is that the Church of Jerusalem sent ministers who were a spiritual blessing. I think the challenge is sometimes ministers are not a spiritual blessing. They're kind of a spiritual burden. And so here Paul says, look, it's right for the church to take care of the minister. But ministers, you have a responsibility to be a spiritual blessing. So today, the Seventh-day Adventist denomination or the Seventh-day Adventist church, in our particular church, the Melbourne City Adventist Church, uses this model of tithing to pay uh, pay ministers both locally and overseas. So each person in the local church is encouraged to give a tithe or a tenth of their salary. And what I want to highlight here is in Victoria, and these the little red red um, tags are Seventh-day Adventist churches around just the Melbourne area, um, in the state of Victoria there are one hundred Seventh Seventh-day Adventist churches. And the question is, how are funds going to be raised to take care of ministers or to make sure that ministers can minister to these different communities around Victoria? You have 100 churches, and not every church has a minister. Sometimes there are seven people in a church. Or if you look at our church in this particular one in the city, we have an average between 30 to 40 people in church. That's not enough to cover Jinha and my salary. So then how does that actually work? And so what happens is, all of these churches are – the individuals in these churches are encouraged to send a tithe. That tithe is centralized here at um, church headquarters. Uh, that administrative body is called the conference. And what happens is the conference hires, uh, hires and – well, hires <laughs> ministers. And so what happens is there are bigger churches that have three, four 400, 500 members. And they send lots of tithe. And that tithe gets centralized, and that and the conference makes sure that the small churches like the Melbourne City Adventist Church can have ministers. And so the conference strategizes where are different areas of growth, what churches need ministers, how can we effectively minister to that community. And so the conference then distributes human resources, and then the state of Victoria can then be ministered to. And so what happens is the bigger churches support the smaller churches. So when it comes to this particular church, at the moment, we are kind of recipients of the goodness and the grace of bigger churches. But the understanding is that one day, as our church grows in number, grows in offering, grows in tithe, that we can then reciprocate and be that blessing to another church plant that's taking place around Victoria and even around the world. So tithe not only helps local mission, but it helps overseas mission as well. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is a worldwide church divided in 15 divisions. So our division is the South Pacific Division right here. And if you look around, um, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is very strategic. It's one of the very unique Protestant churches that have intentionally made that decision. We are going to be a global missionary movement. So, what happens is our tithes don't stay in our local churches. It keeps getting sent up to different bodies of administration, so different areas around the world can be ministered to. Currently, there's something called the 1040 window, it's from around there to there. And what happens is there's a very, very small percentage of Christian influence in that part of the world, but there's a massive part of the world's population in that part of the world. So the question is if there are tons of non Christians who are living in a part of planet Earth and there aren't very many Christians, how are we then going to do missionary work in those areas? So what happens is our tithes get sent up, it gets all the funds get centralized to a little headquarter place here called the General Conference. The General Conference then sends missionary human resource and physical resource to areas of the world, whether it's China, India, parts of the Middle East so that these areas can get things like health care, education, and also we can plant churches. And so tithe is a very, very important part of how um, the gospel gets spread to the ends of the earth. And so sometimes what happens is we send up a tithe and it's kind of like, where is that money going? But then what happens is we get annual reports. And in that report, it says, hey, last year, one million people got baptized and joined the Seventh-day Adventist church. And I don't know if you know, but every year our church is growing by a million people, and that number is supposed to go up as time goes by. And so it really is um, a quite uh, unique but also effective way of making sure that um, different parts of the world get resources. So in summary, tithe is used to pay people in full-time ministry generally. The Bible also talks about offering, and while there's a set amount um, of money that, uh, excuse me, while the Bible says there's a set amount of money set aside for tithe, when it comes to offering, there isn't a set amount that's really suggested. There's more a principle that's kind of shared, and I want to kind of go over that with you. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 19. For those of you who are using the White Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is page 933, page 933. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 19, and I'm just going to select a few verses here to read through with you. Um. We're going to start from verses 11 and read to verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 11 to 19. Here's what it says. Paul says, Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. And so here there's this principle of giving that Paul kind of states. And I really, I like how Paul writes this. It's not too prosperity gospel-y. I I don't know if you've ever watched televangelists. And this was more popular like in the early 90s. But it was kind of like, just Give of your money, and God is going to bless you. And it was almost kind of like the more you give, the more God is going to bless you. And even in modern-day churches, this is kind of preached in certain areas. But when you actually read the Bible, I love how practical Paul is. He's just saying, hey, there are people around us that need help. There are ministries that need help. There are areas where uh, they could use resource. So if you have an abundance, then give. Uh, don't feel obligated to give and don't give to the point where it's like you can't even take care of your own life. But it's more, hey, there are people who who need help. I have abundance. So I'm going to give for those who don't give and are not able to give. Well, then don't feel pressured. And so I, I like that balance. And he also says, look, the blessing of being able to give is that one day you might be in a place where you need help and people in their abundance can then reciprocate and help you. And so I love the practicality of that advice. Offering is designed to help those who are in need. Um, Fridays at the Victoria Market, ADRA puts on this homeless outreach. And basically, there are individuals, and this isn't, some of the funds came from the church, but a lot of the funds just came from individuals who just realized there's a massive need here. Somebody spent over $20,000 putting together this mobile shower. And basically, they put this trailer together, chucked this mobile shower, got a water tank, and then just they drive it out every other Friday, every fortnight to the Victoria Market so that people can take showers. Another person saw that and said, Hey, you know what? There's some people who need to wash their clothes, and they don't have money to go wash their clothes. And so they Built a mobile washer and dryer where they chucked stuff into a van. And um, if you, if you look at this van, it's just, I, I don't know how they do it because I don't know anything about mechanics or automotive or anything like that. But anyway, they built this van with a washer and dryer and it's really, it's pretty amazing what they've been able to do. And then people can just line up with their laundry and then take care of their needs. And so Friday on Friday, Adra runs this program and it, it operates off of offering. And so it's a offering is a great way it's designed to help those who are in need. This is another thing that I want to point out. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 to 4. The beginning of that chapter. It says, "Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor." But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And so Paul here highlights, there's this church in Macedonia. They're trying to do ministry, but they don't have the funds to do it. They've given at one point in time, and now they need help. Please send funds to help this church in Macedonia. And so on one hand, we saw that um, funds are used to help those who are in need. And another thing is funds or offerings are used to help ministries who are in need to continue to minister. And so uh, what we're going to go through later on is I'm going to share some ministries that our church is trying to develop, and that way you know where your funds are going. So, offering is used to help people in need, to set up ministries, but also in First Chronicles chapter twenty-nine verses eight and nine, offering was used to fund building projects. Now, clearly, for us right now, um, it's not so applicable to us, and right now, having a building would probably be a massive burden. But say five years from now, uh, ten years from now, this church may grow, and it we may come to the point where. It makes sense to get into a building or an office space and purchase something of our own. And so offerings in the Bible were used for building projects. So there's several reasons why it's good to give. And I want to go through those reasons with you. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, or excuse me, I'm jumping the gun here. There are different, different, there are different reasons why it's good to give. The first reason, there is buy-in the mission of spreading the gospel, and God wants everyone to participate in that. So in 3 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, John writes, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so we may work together for the truth. So here John is saying, listen, there's a group of people who are going to minister. And he asks this particular uh, person who he's talking to, I believe his name is Gaius. And he and John says, Gaius, can you please send some money with these strangers? And he's saying, listen, In your giving your finances to this person in their work, you get to join together in their work. Now, oftentimes in church, people say, Yes, I want to get involved with church ministry, but I don't feel like, I don't feel comfortable doing public speaking, or I don't feel comfortable teaching, or there are different things that I'm not able to do. How can I participate in the mission and the work of the church? And John basically says, Hey, there's a very practical way of doing this. Give of your finances, and that way you have buy in and ownership of the mission that's taking place. For those of you who do give tithes and offerings, as those reports come out, you know I'm a participant of the furthering of the gospel. The second reason to give there is a promised blessing. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, Malachi writes, Bring the whole tithe. Into the storehouse. And that word storehouse is another word for uh, the treasury of the temple, if you will. And this word is used several times in other parts of the Old Testament. And each time it's in reference to the temple. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much a blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. There are very few times in the Bible where God says, test me. I think there are a lot of times in my prayer life where I've asked God, God, I want to test you, right? If you're really there, will you do this for me? And here in the Bible, God says, test me. He's actually being proactive in opening up the trial. And he's saying, test me with your tithe and you will know that I'm your provider and carer for you. And I really like this because also it's not prosperity gospel-y in the sense of he's saying, "Listen, give a tenth. For those of us who are well off, a tenth is actually not that much. It's very doable. For others of us, a tenth is a lot for for some of us we're, we're make, it, it's hard to make ends meet from, and we're living from month to month to month. And here in this promise, God is saying, Listen, test me with a tithe, and you will know." Well, basically, he says, I'm going to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing to you. The reason why it isn't prosperity gospel to me is because it's limited at a tenth. God doesn't say, give me all of your money, and I'm going to bless you. It's not gimmicky. It's enough for those who would struggle to say, hey, prioritize me, and you'll know that I am God. For those who have abundance, a tenth is not a lot. And it's, it's an act of prioritizing God. I remember um, the first time someone shared this um, verse with me, I was, in, I was in my first year of uni and I had student debts and um, I had just gotten into a car accident and I had, I had to pay to fix the car and I was just very, very stressed out. So I'm like, I'm a uni student, I've got to fix the car and I'm in debt. Great. And then some church elder goes, hey, Roy, part of being a Christian is giving a tenth of your increase to God. And I looked at it and I was like, you must be out of your mind. Like, is it this is a guy who's a doctor telling me who's like a uni student to give my money. <laughs> and I spent about a week thinking about it. I was like, should I give tithe? Uh, I don't really want to give tithe. This is kind of a difficult thing. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Anyway, I I broke out my checkbook. I got my check for the month, and I thought, okay, how do I make this work? I don't have enough money to make this work. I'm just gonna write out the check anyway. So I wrote out the check, $100. I used to make $1,000 a month back in uni, washing cars. And so $100, wrote out the check, and I'm I'm waiting for the offering basket to come. And it's getting, it's kind of snaking around. And I'm like, should I give? Should I not give? And the offering basket gets closer and closer. It finally lands in my lap, and I'm kind of like, I'll put it. Nah, no, I don't really want to. Like, ah, just put it in and let it let it go. It's too late. And so. I gave my first bit of offering, and um, to be honest, for the first few months, I, I couldn't make ends meet. <laughs> it was kind of like, hey, this is, where's the blessing, you know? <laughs> like, you said there's going to be a floodgate. And so one month passes, two month passes, three month passes. And it's at that time where I was kind of um, really starting my Christian journey, and I kind of thought, I want to get more involved in church, and I started hanging out with a youth group there. And what would happen is um I was a uni student and then there were a bunch of like high school students and so I would drive them around in my car. Saturday nights we'd go hang out and then I would drop everybody off and then go back home. And uh one weekend I get to church and I'm just talking to different people and I feel this like pressure like in my on my jacket pocket. I was like, what is this? And then a hand kinda slips by and I didn't know what it was and so I reach into the pocket and there's like an envelope there. I was like, what's this envelope? And so I opened the envelope, and there's this card that says, "Hey Roy, thank you so much for um, your service to the youth. Um, we just want to help cover the costs of of your petrol." And so they had put a couple hundred dollars in there, and I was like, "Wow!" And immediately I thought, "I gave a hundred dollars, I got money back," and I was like, "It works!" And so I take I take the hundred, I take that couple hundred dollars, and I'm like, "All right, twenty dollars." in the offering basket. and it was kind of like what's gonna happen next and uh, you know over over the next few years uh, there were thousands of dollars that were unaccounted for and I was able to cover the cost of the car damage I was a cover I was able to cover the cost of uh, the different credit card bills and to this day Jinha and I every now and then kind of look at each other and we're like you know it's amazing what God has done both of us came from very low socioeconomic families and We're kind of at the place where we're – it's like, so this is what it feels like to be like financially stable. (laughs) It's kind of like the first time in our lives, like, wow. And so it's – I can definitely testify to the fact that there were times where I didn't have enough money to make ends meet. And because of this promise, it's true in the sense of there's kind of this imagery that you are not going to have room to be able to – to pay for it like you the, you you don't have enough room to receive it in other words it's it's so much that you're just kind of like what do i do now and and um it's nice to know that god is faithful to his promise and so there's a blessing that's promised in giving the third reason giving gives you a deeper appreciation of salvation there's a story in genesis chapter 14 and if you can turn there genesis is the first book of the bible genesis chapter 14 Verses 17 to 20. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham has just gone out to war, and he's kind of saving his nephew Lot because his nephew Lot kind of gets captured by these different kings. Abraham chases after them. He uh, rescues his nephew Lot, and on his way back, he has this interesting encounter with this priest named Melchizedek. And so Genesis chapter 14, page twelve in the White Bibles. And we're going to read verses 17 to 20. It says, After Abram returned from his victory over Leomer and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with his blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. This is a really strange interaction um, in Genesis, mainly because Abram is not a citizen of Salem, and yet here's Melchizedek, this priest, and Abram recognizes you are a priest of my God. And so, what happens is Melchizedek gives him bread and wine. And in the Bible, those two things have very significant symbolism. Bread in the New Testament um, represents Jesus. And at the very last supper, J- uh, Jesus gives this bread. He says, Eat this bread. It's my body. It represents my forgiveness for you. Wine is the same thing. Wine represents the blood of Christ. And so, at that same supper, Jesus says, Drink the wine. And that represents the blood that is shed for you. And so there's a symbolism of salvation. And what Melchizedek comes is he comes to Abram and he says, he's basically communicating, Abram, you are chosen by God and you have been saved. And in response, what happens is Abram then gives a tithe of everything that he has. And that same experience is the experience that we have as uh, followers of Jesus Christ. And what that means is as we reflect upon salvation, as we reflect upon the fact that Jesus has accepted us, we are called his children, he offers us eternal life. In response to the manifold blessing of God, we respond by saying, God, I acknowledge that you are my savior. And in response, here's a tithe of what I give. And as we give, there's a deeper sense of appreciation for what we have received. I don't know if you've experienced this, but when somebody gives you something, as you respond to that gift, it deepens that sense of what has been given to you. Um, when I was about to go to Andrews University, um, I was just finishing up a Bible, uh, Bible working stint, and this local church or these handful of people from this local church said, Roy, we want to sponsor your education. And so they had a meeting with me, and they just said, Roy, and this is back in uh, 2008, and so this is like right in the middle of the great financial crisis. It's like if you're a U.S. citizen, money is very scarce to come by, and the government doesn't have hex. They give out loans, right? And with hex, you don't have to pay it back until you make money. Loans, you have to pay it back right away. And so I was kind of wondering, how am I going to pay for this? And so when this group of people said, Roy, we'll sponsor your education. That was a massive, massive thing. And it didn't really sink in. And I just, I was kind of like, whoa, uh, things are going to be okay. I'm going to be able to get an education. And as I met with one of the individuals, I went up to uh, this lady. Her name is Tina. And she used to just take care of me. She used to drop off food. And she was just kind of like this mother of Israel, Israel, this sweet soul who just kind of said, Roy, I just want to look after you. And I went up to Tina and I remember saying, Tina, thank you for your help. And I remember as I expressed gratitude, it kind of finally sunk in like, man, this woman is doing such a great thing for me in my life. And I kind of choked up a little bit. I was kind of like, thank you. And I couldn't finish. And she started tearing up and we kind of had this moment where we embraced each other. And it was that expression of gratitude that deepened the realization, hey, Something great has been given to me And so For those of you who Understand the importance Of salvation As you express gratitude and you're saying God thank you for what you've done For me in my life Here is a response of gratitude That sense of what has been given to you um, Deepens Because of that appreciation Systematic giving Is a good way to keep self-centered living in check. We live in a consumeristic society where we want to get stuff. You know, we've just come on the other side of Christmas and um, Boxing Day, and it's kind of actually I I like the holidays because Christmas is for you and Boxing Day is for me, right? And so it's kind of nice to be like, okay, family members here, and then Boxing Day comes around. It's like, all right. What do I want again? I've got my I've got my checklist. And I don't think there's anything wrong with taking care of our needs. But what happens is the tendency is to get offset to where we focus on our needs and lose sight of other people's needs. And so here in Acts chapter twenty, verse thirty-five, and I'm just gonna highlight this last part, there's this principle in the Bible that says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And There's something special about being able to focus more on the needs of others rather than on the needs of ourselves, and so giving is a great, or systematic giving is a great way of ministering to our tendency to focus on ourselves. Um, And this principle is not just in finances; it's emotionally, it's relationally. Uh, You know, there are moments where it's so easy to kind of think, "Woe is me, man! So many bad things are happening," and that difficult circumstance is real. The question is, how do you get out of that difficult circumstance? How do you get out of that negative psychological routine of, ah, oh, it's so hard, and then we make the wrong mistake again, and then we feel worse, and then make another bad mistake, and then we feel worse? How do you break that cycle? And the idea is, well, learn to focus on someone else and give to that individual. And what happens is it starts ministering to our cycle of negative thinking. And what happens is, We are a blessing to somebody else and you start feeling good and then you make the right decision. And as you keep practicing giving, what happens is it ministers to that difficult circumstance um, when it comes to our emotional, relational um, needs. Finally, giving our tithes and offerings is a good way to prioritize God in our lives. I think there are spiritual disciplines that help us remember God. Doing your devotions helps us remember God. Oh, Doing your devotions will help you remember God. Coming to church will help you remember God. Giving of your tithes and offerings is a good way of remembering God. You are God, and I am here for your glory and for your name. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. So, I've shared a biblical model of systematic giving. I've shared some blessings, some good reasons to give. And now I want to answer one final question. Why pass around an offering basket now as opposed to three years ago when we started church service? When it comes to those two areas that I talked about, ministry allocation to local churches and ministries of local churches, the Melbourne City Adventist Church wants to develop in both of those areas. As a local church, the more tithe we give, the more the conference will give consistent pastoral allocation. And we're kind of at that teetering point where the conference is kind of saying, hey, we've sponsored you guys for a while, and we want to see you be able to sustain yourself. the more tithe we give, the more pastoral allocation you get. As this church gives more tithe, there's a potential of getting three pastors, four pastors, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so the more pastoral allocation there is, um, basically the better the church is going to be, hopefully. So we want to develop in that area. The second area that we want to develop in is in the different ministries that we provide to you and to the community. So here are a list of things that we want to do in 2018. We want to put more resources into media and production. Uh, A lot of people have come into our church because of church website, because of Facebook, because of what's been done on the media, uh, on the media side of things. We want to develop that. Um, There are different aspects of AV that require funds, and so that's something that we want to do. And also, um, the team back here makes this church run. So like Mervyn, Ben, Caroline, James – And they are all (laughs) self-taught. Like James went and there was a six-month period where he would just watch YouTube videos and figured out how to do what he does. And – you know, Just being a second-hand recipient where James is like, you just click this button and it'll work, it's still too hard for me. And so um, what happens is we're now at a place where there needs to be a bit more education and uh, it'd be worth it to invest in them as a team and saying, hey, there's some training that can take place to help you do your job better. And rather than them having to pay their own way, it'd be good if the church can sponsor them. We're also wanting to develop children's ministry. We're going to start a Pathfinder groups, uh, a Pathfinders group group. Um, Sue and David have put their hand up and they've said, listen, uh, we think Pathfinders is an important part of church community. We want to start Pathfinders. Um, It's actually a very, very important leadership development for young people. And so uh, that is another area of ministry that we want to invest in. We're doing fitness outreach. Michael mentioned that. Uh, We also want to start another small group uh, that requires resources. Currently, the small group leaders and the hosts kind of from their own pockets pay for food take care of everything, um, and then we just kind of provide them, like, human resources. We're like, we'll be there. But it would be great to be able to say, hey, we appreciate what you give and what you do. Here's some resource to offset all the food that you have to make and buy and et cetera, et cetera. So it would be good for us to be able to support those small groups and also provide resources to them uh, when it comes to books, study materials, et etc. et cetera. I mentioned the Friday Addera Homeless Outreach um, it would be good to provide another service for them that doesn't currently exist. We have to do a fair bit of brainstorming, but the current uh, ministries that already exist need more support, and also it would be good to be, to provide different things for uh, the homeless to be able to um, sense that uh, they are valued. We also want to develop a resource library. We have a library in the back. We have an online library. It's called Right Now Media that we use, but We are constantly wanting to be able to equip you as church members and in your own walk with God to feel like, hey, I actually have the resources to grow in the way that I want to grow. And so that also requires resource, or that also requires finances. And we want to develop those resources for you. And so those are some of the ministries that we are investing in this year. And your finances help fund those things. And so in two weeks time, we're going to be passing out. Um, offering basket uh, an offering basket and it's an opportunity for you to be able to respond and whatever god impresses you to give um we would definitely appreciate and so um yeah we want to share a message in terms of hey we're going to be starting to do this it's just so that you're aware and that you can join us in giving may god bless you